read this for Mr. Sami. And it's uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. Reading from the New King James Version, because it's the version that Grace Penny had, and I forgot my Bible. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you very much, uh, Samuel. I have offered uh, Gary if you would take this session and I'll do the Christmas one. And he declined. He said, no, you go ahead. And so here we are uh, in our studies in the book of uh, Ephesians. And uh, those of you who are here today would like to let you know that we've been studying the book of Ephesians. And it was my duty to, uh, to do, uh, speak on a bit of family matters. And two weeks ago, we saw the subject of wives, submit to your own husbands in the Lord. And today we are going to look at husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We saw last week that the baseline of an happy marriage was taken from chapter 5, verse 21, which said, and submit to one another in the reverence of Christ. And that is the baseline. If you want a happy marriage, you need to submit to one another in the, in the reverence of Christ. Now yesterday, some of us witnessed the wedding ceremony of Vardhan and Nun. It was a special time for them as they were joined together in marriage. And it is uh, our duty to pray for them that these two young couple will walk with the Lord and and walk holding hands with one another and grow up uh, to be a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ as they set their home together. It was indeed a special time uh, for us. So we have learned two weeks ago the role of a wife in a happy marriage, and today we're going to look at the role of a husband in this marriage. The late, well-known Pastor Henry Ironside had a recently married young man come to him and said, I need your help, sir. I'm in awful state. I'm drifting into idolatry. What is the trouble, asked Dr. Ironside. Well, I'm afraid I'm putting my wife on too high a plane. I feel that I love it too much, and I'm displeasing the Lord. Are you indeed, asked Ironside. Do you love him more than Christ loved the church? And the young man said, I don't think so. Well, that is the limit, replied Einside, for we read, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You see, life is made meaningful by relationship. And the best of all that relationship is between a man and a woman in marriage. And Peter calls this the grace of life. 
First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 says this, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here the grace of life is not a reference to salvation, but it is a reference to marriage. The best relationship, the best earthly relationship that we can have one with one another is the marriage relationship. Submission, we saw, is the responsibility of every Christian husband and wife. We submit to one another, and we've learned that marriage was a two two-way street. It wasn't a one-way street when one submitted and the other just sat down and gave the orders. No, it's not like that. Though the husband is not submitting to his wife as a leader, a believing husband must sub submit to the loving duty of loving his wife, being sensitive to her needs, her fears, her feelings, and so on. That is the responsibility of a husband in marriage. Before the fall, Adam and Eve lived in harmony and satisfaction of a perfect marriage. And I wonder what Adam thought when he first, first saw Eve. Have you ever thought of that? When God brought Eve to Adam, I wonder what he thought. In today's language, a young man would, would say, awesome. And some might say, wow, look at that woman. We wonder what he thought when God brought Adam to him, uh, Eve to him. We know what he said. This is what he said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. This is now the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of a man. Adam saw no blemishes or shortcomings in Eve's because both her attitude and character were pure. They were perfect before sin came in between God and them. There was nothing to criticize in Eve, and there was no critical spirit in Adam. That was a perfect marriage in the Garden of Eden. Somebody said when God created man, he saw it was good. And then he had another look and said, I can do a better job, and he created the woman. Now that's not true, we know that. We know that God said it is not good for a man to be alone. So God created a helpmeet for Adam. In our passage, Paul continues to describe the godly and moral life of a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is mutually submissive in the fear of the reverence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul made it clear that the husband is the head of the wife. We saw that two weeks ago. The husband is the head of the wife. But the emphasis on the rest of the chapter here is not on the husband's authority to rule, but on his duty to submit to his wife through his love for her. While the wife submits to the husband, the husband submits to the wife through his love for her. And so the command, husband loves your wives, continues Paul's explanation, and which we saw in verse 21, which says very clearly to be subject to one another in the reverence of Christ. So the husband's primary submission to his wife is through his love for her. That is the husband's submission. It is the love that you, we have for our wives. And the apostle makes it clear that this is a boundless kind of love, a never-ending kind of love, and it is a love that carries on till death do us part. Husbands are to love their wives as 
Christ also loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He loved the church enough to die for the church. He gave his life for the church. He gave his life for you and me. Jesus Christ loved the church even before the church came into existence. He loved the church even before you and I put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some preachers would spend a lot of time explaining to us the Greek meaning for the word love. I have no intention of doing that as I only know a little Greek that I met in Sydney some years ago. That's as far as my Greek goes. So I'm not going to dwell on any of that uh, uh, thing about love that we, uh, we, we hardly understand. Let's face it. I think in the measure we understand love, in the measure that you and I understand love, we should practice it in all the areas of our lives. How much of that love you understand without knowing all the Greek jargon? Whatever you understand of love, and we should practice it in all areas of our life, including our marriage. My grandson, Jacob, when he was growing up and we, he was sitting on my lap and he said to me, Nana, I love you to the moon and back. I said, Jacob, that's a long, long way. I said, what does that mean? And he said, infinity. He was only a little fella. He's 18 now. So I love you to the moon and back. And that's the sort of love we need, husbands need to have uh, for their wives. Let's face it. I don't think any human being is capable have the capacity to love with the divine fullness and the perfect love of Christ. However, because a Christian is Christ's own nature, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, God provides for the husband to love their wives with a measure of Christ's own kind of love. So husband, God provides us with that kind of love that we can have for our wives the measure of Christ's own love for the church. The husband who submits to the Lord by being filled with the Spirit is able to love his wife with the same kind of love as Jesus had for his bride, the church. We're capable of that. And if we were not husband, God would not command us to do that. God would not say, husband, love your wife. We are capable of great love. Whoever we are, we're capable of that love. And so the Lord's pattern for his church is the husband's pattern for the love for his wife. Now, in the passage here today, Paul mentions four qualities of that divine love that husbands are to have for their wives. In 1980, when Fatima and I were living in Tonga, one night we had a phone call from our daughter in Auckland, and Fatima was speaking to her in Hindi, and I could hear Fatima saying these words, you tell him, you tell him, you tell him. And, and I was wondering what was happening. And so I came onto the phone, and then Ruth was on the phone from Auckland, and we greeted one another. And then, he, then she said, Dad, I've got a boyfriend. I said, oh, that sounds nice. I said, what's his name? His name is John Rowe. What does he do? He works for the Otis Elevator Company. And does, is he a believer? Is he a Christian? And Ruth said, yeah, Dad, he is a Christian, and we together go to Naira Avenue Chapel. I said, where does he live? And Ruth said, four of us are flitting together. I said, well, the other first thing he's got to do is to move out of that house. I said, you tell John that my dad wants you to move out of the house. And so Ruth uh, told John that dad said you'll have to move out of the flat. And John graciously did. He moved out of the flat. And uh, 
two, a couple of years later, we were in Blenheim. We moved to Blenheim by this time. And one night, Ruth uh, called me. He said, Dad, John wants to speak to you. I said, what for? She said, I don't know. And here was John on the other side asking me if I could marry, uh, marry my daughter. I said to John, I said, John, can you give me three reasons why I should say yes? And he muttered some things and he was quite scared, shaking on the other end, I don't know. But in the reason that he gave me, the word love came into, that, into the conversation. I, he, he called me dad, he said, I, I love a dad and I want to get married. And we, 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 I talked to Fatima and we gave the okay and they got married and they've got a wonderful family. They are living together and they've been married for over 25 years ago. And, and, and they're just, just a wonderful family. And Kelsey, our daughter-in-law, said to me one day, you know, Nana, you were real mean to my dad. I said, Kelsey, at that time he wasn't your dad. And then it was my daughter I was giving away, so I needed to know where your dad stood as far as the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned. You see, it is so important for us to ask questions like that, to see that our children are, are being married according to the will of God. First point here is the manner of love, and I want to show you a slide, the first slide, and this is no reflection of Ruth and John. If you can't, I'll read it here. A man said to his wife one day, I don't know how you can be so stupid and so beautiful at all at the same time. The wife responded, allow me to explain. God made me beautiful so you would be attracted to me. God made me stupid, so I would be attracted to you. This is again one of those that I picked up from the restaurant uh, in, uh, in Sydney. So let's go to the first point. We look at the manner of love. And the first point is the husband's love for his wife is a sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And the catch word here is and gave himself for her. At a personal cost that we can never fully fathom, Jesus laid aside his rights as God, took on human flesh and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, where he actually was made sin for you and I. He, the perfect Savior, took upon his body the punishment of the whole world and gave his life a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the manner of love that a husband has for his wife is a sacrificing love, a love in which he is able to sacrifice his life for his wife. And we know through the history that many husbands have done that. Charles Wesley expresses this in his hymn. Amazing love. How could it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And that's the sort of love husbands are to have for their wife according to this passage. Jesus Christ gave everything he had, including his own life for the sake of the church, and that is the standard of sacrifice that the husband has for his wife. 
You see, the world's love is always object-orientated, isn't it? A person is loved because of physical attractiveness, personality, prestige, wealth, or some other positive characteristic. And when that characteristic is no longer appealing, quite often the love is gone because husbands love their wives regardless. And it is because uh, the problem is there are so many husbands and wives who have only that kind of fickle love for that each other. Love that, that falls apart so quickly. One day you're in love and the next day you're not. And love ought to be constant between a husband and a wife. And as soon as the partner loses his or her appeal, love is gone because it is based on that kind of love. You see, God's love is not that sort of love. For we read, for when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That is the sort of love we're talking about. While we're still sinners, while we were down in that dump, doomed to a lost eternity, Christ saw our need and came and he took upon himself the punishment of our sin. God, love is because it is his nature to love. That's why God loves us. That's his nature. God is love. We read in the word of God. And God loves us like that. If God has loved as the world loves, he could not have saved a single soul. For we read so clearly that his love was so great that he gave his only son to be our savior. Now her husband is not commanded to love his wife because of what she is or what she is not. He's commanded to love her because it is God's will for him to love her. It is God's will that husbands should love their wives. It is certainly intended for a husband to admire and be attracted to his wife's beauty, his wife's kindness, his wife's gentleness. And if that was not the case, uh, husbands, we all will be single. Remember the time when you first saw her? There was love there. There was that attraction to one another. And in due time, you, we got married. But even though such attraction as beauty and kindness and gentleness uh, brings great blessing and enjoyment, they are not the only reason. They're not the only reason uh, for the bond of marriage. The bond of marriage is more than just physical attractiveness. It is the love of the heart, love to one another, love that will last for a long, long time. What if every appealing and characteristic of your wife disappears? As we know, we're all getting out of shape and all that sort of thing. Does the love is gone? No. We love the more. One day, Fatima and I was walking through Chartwell there, and we saw this, this dear old lady. She didn't have enough strength, and she was pushing her husband on this wheelchair. She could hardly walk. And I, I, I gave Fatima a nudge. I said, I wonder who will be pushing who. And here was the love of this old lady. Even though she couldn't walk properly, she was pushing the husband, showing at the shops around in Chartwell. That's the sort of love that we are talking about here, folks. And we are in greater uh, command there to love one another. You see, I used to be tall, dark, slim, and handsome. I used to say this. That is why I have a wife who loves me for who I am, and she still loves me even though I am out of shape. That's the sort of love we're talking about here, folks. That kind of love that Christ has for the church. And therefore, that's the kind of love 
Christians to have for their wives. Let's look at point number two, purifying love. For we read that Christ might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and blameless. For the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church is to love them with a purifying, with a cleansing kind of love. You see, divine love does not simply condemn wrong in a person. Divine love does not only condemn uh, wrong in those who are loved, but seeks to cleanse them. In the example of this, we read in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's condemnation. You sin, you die as far as God is concerned, but God does not leave it there. And he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the cleansing. That is the cleansing. And divine love does not condemn wrong in a person, but divine love seeks to cleanse them from it. And because Christ so loved the church, he does not see, want to see any immoral or spiritual impurity in the church. And this is why it is his desire to cleanse the church and to love the church. God tells his people in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They, they would be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Jeremiah 31, 34, He forgives their iniquities and remembers their sin no more. You see, a believer is forgiven every sin the moment we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are cleansed. We're bound, to bound for glory. But you see, we need that periodic cleansing in our life because we get, get our feet dirty. We sin. We fall into sin. We do the wrong thing. And we need that cleansing, the daily cleansing in our lives. And that's the sort of cleansing, the purifying love that the husband should have for their wives. And when the husband's love for his wife is Christ-like, love for his church, he will continually seek the very best in his wife. In ancient Greek, a bride-to-be would be taken down a river to be bathed and ceremonially clean from any defilement of her past life. Whatever her life had been before, it is now symbolically purified and she would enter the marriage without any moral or social blemish. But you see, in a greater way, Christ gave, gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that this should be holy and blameless. His cleansing of believers is not ceremonial or symbolic, but real and complete. The moment you and I put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not, uh, we, are, we are clean, we are completely clean because of the price which he has paid for us. And the truth is, folks, that the saving grace makes believers holy through the cleansing agency, which is the word of God, so that they may be presented to Christ as his pure bride forever to dwell in his love. It is, it is with that same purpose and in the same love, the husbands are to cultivate a purity, righteousness, and sanctity for their wives. 
So let's look at caring love. A husband should care for his wife. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are the members of his body. The husband's love for his wife is to be like Christ's love for his body, the church. No less. That's how we should love our wives. Men and women have always been concerned about their bodies. They still are. Some of us exercise our bodies to keep fit. We try and eat good food to keep healthy. We take care of our skins and so on. We look after our bodies. And our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, that we are not our own, we belong to God. When our bodies are healthy, we have a sense of well-being. And in the same way, when a husband meets the need of his wife with the same care and concern with which he meets the need of his own body, he will also have a sense of well-being and it is God-honoring. The husband who loves his wife as Christ loves the child will not harm her, that he would harm his own flesh. And so the bottom line is the husband's desire and duty should be to nourish and to cherish his wife, just as he nourishes and cherishes his own body. That is how Christ also does for the church. And that's how husbands are to deal with their wives. To nourish a wife is to provide for her needs, to give that which helps her to grow and mature in favor with God and men. And to cherish her is to use tender love and physical affection to give her comfort, protection, and security. And those responsibilities are primarily the husbands and not the wives. As an elder of these two couple of assemblies in Fiji, I attended a lot of marriage dispute among believers. I was also a young man at that time, but it had to be done. And uh, a lot of time we just sat and we cried with them. There was one night I brought a little baby home. Fatima didn't know this. The, the dispute was so gay, bad that so we decided we'll take the baby away from that. And I come home with this little baby in my arm just to try and, and them to sort their problem together. And we cared for that baby and then we took it back to them. One morning in the church in Suva, uh, just as we got out of church, a lady came crying to me and she said, Kanda, I said, could you talk to, please talk to my husband? I said, what's wrong? And she said, when he comes to church, he behaves like an angel. At home, you wouldn't even think he's a Christian. And I made a mistake of tackling this brother on my own and I was told to mind your own business, got nothing to do with him. And he has a brother who'd come in the morning and get up and pray and sing praises to God. And the wife said, you wouldn't believe he's a Christian when he's at home. That's not the sort of love husbands have for their wives. He used to beat the kids. He used to beat the wife. And come on Sunday morning, he's sharing. And you think he's a man who is walking with God. And the message again is as Christ love provides for his church, so the husband provides for his wife and family. The last, let's let, let look at the unbreakable love. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a direct quotation from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And this is the first marriage in the unspoiled Garden of Eden. You know, 
before any institution, any hospital, any government, or any such thing, uh, God established the home first. God established the home when he united Adam and Eve together. And Paul here uses this, this passage to emphasize the permanence as well as the unity of marriage. Marriage is unbreakable. And it is the unbreakable love that a husband has for his wife. God's standard of marriage did not change from the time of Adam until the time of Paul, and it has not changed up to this, this day. And I think one of the greatest barriers uh, is people not willing to let go of the past. And for a marriage to, to be successful, we have to forget the past and live for now and live for the future with the husband and wife. In marriage, a new family has begun, and the relationship of the former families are to be severed as far as authority and responsibility is concerned. Parents are always to be loved and cared for, but they are no longer to control the lives of their children once they are married. In the Indian context, you like this, I know so many broken marriages because of the mother-in-law's interference in their lives. Beware mother-in-laws. And this couple that I was talking about in, in our church, his mother was the problem in their marriage because the girl came from, from the countryside and the, and the boy grew up in the city. There was that friction and she was the biggest problem in the marriage of these two illustrations which I just gave to you. Leave means a separation. Cleave means to be cemented together to each other never to be separated, not in this life. Let's talk a little about divorce here quickly, which Fatima and I have experienced in our son. We pray for Elaine every day without fail. She's the mother of our grandchildren. We talk to her, we love her. We don't have any problem with her. Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate divorce. God hates divorce and he will continue to hate divorce because it destroys that which he ordained to be unbreakable. This is why God hates this divorce. Because God said that the two shall be one. Israel was repeatedly unfaithful to God and that unfaithfulness frequently referred to in the Old Testament as spiritual adultery. When God chose Israel to be his people, he determined to love them with an everlasting love. It was only after unrelenting spiritual adultery and rejection that God gave Israel a divorce. When a man and woman are joined in marriage, Jesus said in Matthew 19 and 6, they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Two weeks ago, I talked about our son Philip ringing from Sydney to say that Elaine was leaving, leaving him. There's one question I asked Philip. I said, Philip, is there a third person involved in your marriage? Is there a third person involved in your marriage? And he said, no. And he said, no. The third person quite often spoils and breaks that marriage in the life of believers. Beware. Don't think you're waterproof. If you're not walking by faith, you're not walking in the spirit, the devil's been on the job for a long, long time and he can still attack 
and he's trying to break that union which we have with one another. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce? Jesus replied, because of the hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. Jesus made it clear that God through Moses only permitted divorce, he didn't command it. Because of the hardness of their heart, he permitted divorce. Interestingly, the bill of divorcement was to protect the offended wife, who would then be allowed to marry again without becoming guilty of adultery. This is the only provision that either Moses or Jesus gives uh, for divorce. Let's look at the last one, the motive of love. Where's my that? The motive of love. This mystery is great. I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife, even as Christ loved the church. The mystery that Paul is talking about here is a magnificent picture that was withheld from the Old Testament saint under the Old Covenant. And the mystery, folks, is that the church are brought into kingdom and his family through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. And one day the church will be united to the bridegroom and forever we will be with him and we will attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the husband's greatest motive for loving, purifying, protecting and caring for his wife is same as Christ's love for the church. That's how we love our husband and wife. And the bottom line is Christian marriage is to be loving, holy, pure, self-sacrificing and mutually submissive because those are the virtues, those are the characteristics of the relationship we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. So husbands, what are we going to do? Here's, a, here's some tips. Let's renew our love for our wives. Hey, don't wait to make a New Year's re uh, resolution. Do it now. Love your wives. Go out together for coffee. Go out for dinner, dinner sometimes. Leave the kids behind. Go out and have that special moment. And, and I find that really, really refreshing. Quite often I'll get up in the morning and say, don't have breakfast, we'll go out and have breakfast. And that's kind of bond that we need to have with one another, going out. And here's a tip, here's a real tip for you guys and you, and you girls, read this together. Read the Song of Solomon's. Read Proverbs, it might help you in your marriage life. And may God bless you as you live together, live for the glory of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And sorry I had to rush through that. Hopefully it has helped us in the area of our marriage. Thank you.